This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'd like to clarify, I hope nobody was offended, but Christina said we're having baby sandwiches. We're not having sandwiches made out of babies, okay? Just so I was like, whoa, this could get out. It's not going to be good. Anyhow, even though baby toe sandwiches sound delicious, don't they? You know, like little baby toes? Maybe not. All right, just me. All right, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd like for you to follow along with us this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 7, and you can just follow right along. The title of today's message is The Golden Rules, because you thought there was a golden rule, and there is. But there's other things that Jesus uses to qualify what the golden rule is, examples that he gives that make it clearer for us how we should be living connected to our Forsaking Kingdom series, how we can look like kingdom citizens, be connected to him, do the things that or be the kind of Christians that represent him well. So while you're opening there to Matthew chapter 7, let us go to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you for your word today to us, that it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it's truth, and that when we base our lives on the truth of your word, we are like the wise man the wise woman who builds their house on the rock. And though the storms may come and beat on the the roof and, and that house, it will stand. But those who do not build their houses on the rock, but on the sand, how great will be that destruction. Lead us in your word today, Father, we pray. You are our teacher. You are our shepherd. We look forward to hearing what you have to speak to us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you like Judge Judy? Do you guys like Judge Judy? Any of those judging things I really like because I can be kind of judgy sometimes. And I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, Judy, get them. Get it. Throw them in jail. It does seem like it can be easy for us to pass judgment on people When we really don't know what's going on, do we? Do you really know what's going on? We look at the outward. We look at the way things seem to be, but we don't really know what's happening, what really is happening even in the heart of somebody. This is illustrated well in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7 in the Old Testament. So it was... When they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is speaking of King David's anointing as king in the Old Testament. And the first person that he sees is the older brother of King David, Eliab. And he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before capital H, him. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Look at this guy. He's, he looks incredible. He, he can definitely play the part that we need. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart of the issue? Do you see the heart of the issue so many times? You don't. You don't know what's really going on. I was talking to a brother recently uh, this past week who's going through some really exciting, life-changing things in his life, and he was sharing with me how excited he is and how he went through a season where he was judging others based on they could have the same success he did if they'd only do the things that he did. And he said, I realized that there was pride creeping into my life, and 
And what I have been given has been by the grace of God, which has to be our perspective. Anytime we start to take confidence in our accomplishments alone, we run the risk of having pride demonstrated more clearly through our life. And we all know, I I think that we all understand and know the way those kinds of people are perceived. What we typically do is we open our Bible and we read through a designated chapter, a designated number of verses from the beginning until we conclude. This week, we're going to do something a little bit differently. Instead of starting in chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to start in chapter 7, verse 12 to get the main point, the main heart of what Jesus is communicating. Then we're going to back up. Stop reading ahead, you guys. We're going to read in a minute, okay? (laughs) Then we're going to back up and detail the things that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Not even trying. He is, whether we receive it or not. Chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore... Whatever you want men to do, you also do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. A couple things. I don't know if this would be surprising to you or not to know, but this saying had been around since before Jesus' time, but it was a little different. We have some historical accounts of this saying, but Jesus puts, places it in the positive. All of the other uh, renditions of it were in the negative. What do I mean by that? I mean, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you, which makes more sense. And sometimes we process it like that. Like, I'm not going to do that to them because I wouldn't want them to do that to me. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus takes it a step further and he says, do to others the things that you want uh, people to do to you, the things you want them to do to you. Not don't do. It's don't cut off the guy because you don't want him to cut you off on the freeway. It's stop on the side of the road and help that person with a flat tire. You see the difference? Jesus places it in the positive, and in a sense, it's, it's even a greater challenge to us. And then we as we see, therefore, whatever you want men to do, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And I like how he says, this is the law and the prophets, because what does he mean by that? He said, this isn't new news. This isn't a recent development. This isn't a current revelation. This is the way that God always intended it to be. That's what he's saying. He says the law and the prophets are fulfilled in you doing good for others. The law and the prophets? The revelation of God, the Old Testament, the revelation of God, do unto others good so that you might also receive good things. Do you guys know something that we go over in marriage counseling when Gracie and I do marriage counseling with people is something I tell the husband pretty emphatically, if I can, punch him in the face with some truth. Your wife is a garden. However much time and energy you put into her, however much you pour into her is what you're going to get back. Think of a garden. Think of fruitfulness of a garden. You guys like gardens? I do if I don't have to do the stuff, you know. That's the thing. It's always about doing the stuff. It's it's cultivating the soil. It's it's breaking off the suckers. It's maintaining healthy living environments. And when you as a husband, if there's any husbands here this morning, intentionally pour into and love your wife, you do good to bless and to take care of her. Make no mistake. At the point that I realized this in my marriage with Grace was years ago. We were living in Croatia. When I realized however much I poured into her, she poured into me, man, I, I, I challenged myself. Let's see how over the top I can go in, in being blessed, really. Not what I should not do toward my wife or how I should not treat her, but how I can treat her, what I can do to love and to bless her, to be a fruit bearer. That ultimately, as husbands, you are benefited from that fruit and from that pouring into. But make no mistake, everybody else that comes in contact with your wife is going to benefit also. And everybody's going to notice. And why why are you like that? And she's going to give the glory to God because you're submitted to him in pouring into her. And the cycle continues. But stop and see how the fruit will start to dry up. This isn't new news. This has always been part of God's word. This isn't a new revelation. 
Jesus says, what you want people to do to you, do also to them. Chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Point number one, we're going to look at four points and then move into three sub-points. If you're a note taker, on the back of your chair backs, there's a calendar. On the back side of the calendar, there's a place for notes if you want to take notes. Point number one, don't judge others. Can I get a witness? This is something that even the world has taken. The golden rule the world wants to take. Jesus is going to define it a little bit differently, though, than what we're used to hearing when in the world's vernacular. Jesus says, don't judge others. Why? Because whatever measure you use is going to be used against you. Now, I like that Jesus illustrates this specifically. There's a physical and a spiritual application to it. The physical application is you, you use a measuring stick. It is yay big. It's however big it is. And you take that and say, this is what the people that I'm around need to measure up to, and you place it against their lives and say, nope, you didn't measure up. Nope, you don't measure up. Yeah, you're all right. I'm not doing this. If, if, if you guys sit in different parts of the sanctuary, I'm not doing it. You, you guys are great over here, all right? Because whenever you do that, you have a physical measure, and you say, this is what I measure that person by. Then it comes back, and that's what you're measured by. Not only by God, but by other people. That's the standard that you set. So remove the physical part of the judgment. Remember how he ends this? He ends this by saying, do unto others the things that you would have them or want them to do unto you. Judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you judge you will be judging you will and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you number two point number two and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye hypocrite that's the exclamation mark if you're wondering why i said it like that you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is somebody who, who acts a way or plays a part of who they, they really are not. It's an actor putting on a show. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your, your brother's eye. I love how, how uh, funny Jesus is. He's, he's got humor. You know, Jesus got jokes. When is the last time you all saw somebody walking around with a plank coming out of their eye? Eh. Is there a physical and spiritual application to this as well? This, the, the speck may represent something that is perceivable, right? You can see a speck in somebody's eye. And he calls him a hypocrite because the beam that's out of the other guy's eye is cl clearly should be seen not only by him but by everybody else, but it goes unaddressed. It's going to tie in more in the next section, too, when we start talking about people's fruit. But, but really what needs to happen is we need to address our own problems. We need to be critical in the positive sense, in the beneficial sense. We need to be critical of the things that we need to change before we start putting those burdens or those measuring sticks against other people. Number one, don't judge others. Number two, don't, criti don't be critical. And maybe there's room for constructive criticism. We'll get to that in a second. But, but that's not the kind of criticism we're talking about here. We're talking about a speck in somebody's eye. Well, you got that speck. Let me get that thing out. When there's something that's heavy and weighty, drawing your eyes down to the ground, a beam sticking out of your head that clearly needs to be addressed, that goes unaddressed. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Point number three, 
Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I think a lot of us, we, we forget the context and flow that Jesus is presenting this information. Did you remember that this verse was here in this series? How does it fit? Number one, don't judge, because by that measure, you're going to be judged. Number two, don't be critical. And then number three, it seems like there's a trend there's a, there's a direction Jesus is going. Have discernment. He's not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater and make baby sandwiches. He's not saying that. He's saying have discernment to not just throw your pearls before swine. And that there is a, there's a spiritual and a physical application to this as well. What's the spiritual? The holy things of God, the truth of God, the things that God has done in your personal life, the relationships that you can have with people around you, there is a limit to how much you should, and I'm not saying to not share the gospel with people, but there may be a time where you just have to take a break. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but I've experienced maybe less talking and more praying for that person, more seeking God's will for that person, because his will is for them to know him. And the physical part of it's pearls. It's actually something valuable. And he says, don't, this is, when, again, Jesus' humor. When is the last time you saw lipstick on a pig? Okay, pearl necklace on a swine. He says, don't throw those things away or over to the dogs. Notice, he doesn't say cats. He says dogs. Amen? Come on, guys. I'm a cat guy. Do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you had a relationship with somebody that just took and 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 it came to the point where finally you just had to say enough is enough? You know, the Bible says that that's okay. In the process of coming to that place, don't judge. Don't criticize, but have discernment in the situation. This is all connected to the what rule? To the golden rule, doing for others. It still says do for others, doing for others what you would have them do for you. Number four, probably my favorite out of the first four points. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. There's variations of this verse throughout the whole New Testament, throughout especially the Gospels. Do you know why it needs to be repeated so emphatically, so regularly and frequently? It's because it's so true. If there's one thing that I can stand up here and say to you in all confidence, without any hesitation whatsoever, it's that if you ask God, if you seek God, if you knock, you will find him. 100% money back guarantee. 100%. I've never been in a situation before where somebody said, I've been seeking God for X amount of time and he has not revealed himself to me. This is the problem. Here's what's really been happening. What's really been happening is I've been trying to do things or I've been trying to understand religious philosophy or just philosophy apart from actually desiring to have a relationship with God. Because when we don't really want to have an actual relationship, when we, we, want, we want all the commandments and the principles, we're going to talk about that more in a minute, when we want the principles to be applied to our life but, but are scared to have an open kind of relationship with God. Because when you say you have a relationship with God, you're not just talking about having a relationship with anybody, are you? It's not like me and you. I say, I say as a joke, you know, the more that you get to know me, the more that you're going to wish that you don't know me. Because we're all humans. We make mistakes. I'm not special. Well, I'm special, but you know. God, I'm, t I'm, I'm flipping it, okay? God wants you to know him because he already fully knows you. 
He already knows. There's nothing to hide. There's no play. There's no, there's no reason to act. He already knows. And why not respond to him and say, God, you already know me. I want to know who you are. I shared with you guys before, the life-changing night, 16 years old, laying in my waterbed in the 90s, praying a prayer to God, God, I just want to know who you are. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what any religion has to say. If you are real and you are God, I just want to know. I want you to reveal yourself to me. And it was from that point in history that my life started to change little by little. It wasn't a ceiling got torn off the roof and God poked his head over. Hey, how you doing, Tim? It was a gradual hearing God's voice, reading the Bible, having him reveal himself to me, life-changing to the point of, I experienced it to the degree, to the point of that I've dedicated my life to hoping to help you experience it also. That's why I'm up here. Because I want you to understand and know who God is. I've got no rules to offer you. I've got a relationship with your creator. And what this verse talks about, point number four, it talks about engaging in relationship with somebody. You know, if you have kids, little kids, we talked about last week, I think. Mommy, 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 mommy. And I say mommy because it's daddy, 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 knock it off, go talk to your mom. Okay, mommy, 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 mommy. What do you do? What do you ultimately do as a parent? Or what did you ultimately do as a kid and subsequently continue to ask for help? What happened? You got an answer. You, hopefully you didn't get a backhand. You didn't get a shut up. Maybe you did it from time and again. But, but really the heart is you got an answer. And if you didn't get an answer by asking, what's the next thing? Seeking. It's a progression also. Seek. He says seek. If you seek it, you will find it. Seek. If you seek me, you will find me. What's the next step after seeking? You say, I asked for it, I didn't get it. I saw it after it, I didn't find it. What's the next step? Go there, knock. The implication is, what? If you knock on a door, what's going to happen? That the door's going to open. It does not say, Jesus does not say, get the battering ram and blow the door down. Get what you want, take what you want. Because we're not talking about the philosophy of the world. We're talking about God's heart for people. He says, ask, seek, knock, knock, and the door will be open to you. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more your, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How about you? I like how Jesus says that. How about you guys, evil people? <laughs> What's that? What does he mean by that? He means that he understands that for the majority of people, if not everybody on earth, we are all selfishly motivated. And he says, if you're so selfishly motivated, yet you're willing to care for your children, how much more willing is your heavenly father to care for you, to answer you, to provide for you, to meet you, to reveal himself to you? Therefore, we find ourselves here again. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. This isn't new news. This isn't new revelation. God's heart has always been throughout the entire Bible for you. Revelation to you. Love and care for you. And now we have further definition of what that looks like Thank you by the words of Jesus. Now we go into the second section where we have three more points, and we're going to do the same thing that we did in the, in the second section as we did in the first. <clears throat> Jesus is going to say some things 
and then he's going to qualify it, and then he's going to give the result. And it starts in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his, hand on the, his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, period, and great was its fall. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be uh, we'll liken him to a man who has built his house on the rock. We go from the therefore back to verse 13. Enter by the narrow gates. This is the first of his saying in conclusion. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Sometimes we see the easy road. We see the broad way, the things that are easy. And since it's easier, we, we, we go that way. And we find ourselves with a multitude of people traveling in a direction because it's, it's, it's the way to go. It's the easy way. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament called the Tower of Babel. Do you guys remember that story? In Genesis, God said that he created man and woman in his image. He blessed them. And the big blessing, right, one of the big blessings is he says to them, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Amen, Lord. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and fill the whole earth. Then we get to this story of the Tower of Babel, and what does it say that the people conspired to do? It says that they all gathered together in opposition to what God had spoken to them. In disobedience, they gathered all together and built this big city, and they started to build this big tower which symbolized the will of man, man-made religion. That's what the Tower of Babel symbolized. And, it, and so we're going to build this, this tower together in this big city. We're going to build it all the way up to heaven. We're going to make our own way. God came down and he saw that the people had a will, the will of man. And, and they're going to set out and, and accomplish what they purpose to accomplish. So it says he confused their languages. He struck them and confused their languages so that they had different languages. And what did they do after God confused their languages? They spread over the face of the earth. What they were supposed to do at the first. It would have been easier to live in the city. The country is going to be more challenging, more difficult. You're going to have to plant your own crops and do all of your own, your, your animal tending, whatnot. But that's not really so much the point as much the point is that they had a will for themselves. And they were going to do it and nobody was going to tell them otherwise. And then God says, sorry. He doesn't kill them. He just mixes the languages up. You, you guys think languages are cool? I think foreign languages are awesome. You know, now we have the ability today to communicate with people that speak foreign languages on a level that cannot compare with any other time in history. You can have an app and talk into it and then have the translate. You have, you'd have to used to go get a translator if you could find one. And it's an emergency. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Ever been to a foreign country where they didn't speak English? It's difficult. Difficult to communicate. But nowadays, communication has made great strides to the degree that, I don't know, I don't want to overstep or anything, but can our level of communication be so open that we are able to start to rebuild that tower again? We're able to come together and say, this is my will. This is what I want. We do not care to know you, God. We do not want to know who you are. We are not going to be under your authority. And we're going to do our own thing. It seems like that can happen from time to time. Jesus is talking to us, his church, his sheep, instructing us 
to not just go the easy route, to go the hard route. And did you know, I got a newsflash for you, did you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very difficult for people to swallow? You guys know that? It is. Do you know why it's so difficult? This is why it's so hard. It's a, it's a hard gospel. It's tough. Is it good news? I don't know. This is why it's so hard, because it's so simple. It's so incredibly, beautifully simple that people think it's impossible. There's no way that it's that easy. And everybody else in the world says it has to be hard. You have to take vows of celibacy, and you have to offer sacrifices to God, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and none of it's true. Christianity is the only religion that says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Nobody in here, if you identify as a Christian, can boast in your own personal salvation. It was granted to you. It was given to you by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. Period. That's the beautiful thing about it. And people want to argue and say, that's too easy. It's too simple. And here's the reality. When you submit to the simplistic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in your humanity, repent of your condition, repent of your mistakes, and know that you have received right relationship with God through the sacrifice that Jesus made. This is the gospel. He died for your sins so that you don't have to die. And while you're on earth, when that relationship is restored between you and God, that's when eternal life begins. That's when abundant life begins. And that's when fruitful life begins. You will start to experience fruitfulness in your life to a degree that you never experienced before. Difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Remember we've defined prophecy in the Bible. Some people try to make it mystical or fortune forecast, lucky charm. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy simply defined in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the proclaiming of truth, absolute truth. This is what a prophet does, speaks the word of God. When God speaks, he doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't say, oh man, thank, thank, thank goodness for autocorrect. <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Have you ever texted somebody before? That is not what I just texted you. Let's be clear. I'm screenshotting this. I did not mean, I, that was autocorrect. That wasn't me. God doesn't do that. When God says something, he knows it for a fact. And prophecy is the speaking or communication of truth. So what's a false prophet then under that definition biblically? Somebody who says something's truth, but it's not. And you know that what they're saying is non-truth because of what? Because of the fruit that comes from their life. And you and I have both seen people who say one thing, but their life looks completely different. They're not abiding by not only the truth, technically the truth, but even what they say is truth doesn't produce any fruit in their lives. On the spiritual side of things, you know that there's actually people, church, I know you guys are going to be surprised this morning, but there's actually people in the name of God, who have predicted the last day on earth that, of when God's judgment's going to come. Can you believe that? No. Nobody would ever really do that. Nobody would put a date to it. You guys ever hear something like that? Come on. You know that there's one guy in particular who's changed the date a few times whenever the date passes? He's like, you know what? Just a little bit off on my calculation. You know, he's a false prophet. He says something's true. It's not true. What's his fruit? There's his fruit. Stop believing it. Stop listening to it. 
the enemy is using it more for fear-mongering than for truth-telling. And you can take that extreme example to that extreme degree and apply it in various ways to other examples. Wait a minute, if you said that that's truth, then why are you doing this? Or if you're saying that this is what I should be doing or this is what, what needs to happen, then why is this happening? It doesn't make sense. It's nonsensical because it's not truth. And what does he say? He says, they, they come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you in deception to deceive. Pay attention. Remember, have discernment. Identify them by their fruit. But also we have to back up to what Jesus said in the previous section also. The first thing he said was what? Point number one, don't judge people. Point number two, don't criticize. Point number three, have discernment. Point number four, well, we're going to see at the very end. Point number four, ask, seek, knock, ask for help. Don't puff your chest up in pride and act like you got it all together. You don't. I hate to break it to you, but I can break it to myself too. God doesn't need you. God does not need you. God owns everything. And all these people that run around trying to offer God all this stuff, he's like, I know that it has value to you, but I'm the one that gave it to you in the first place. He doesn't need you. Listen to this right now. God doesn't need you. God wants you. He wants you. You have value to God. That's why he pursues you. That's why he loves you. That's why he laid his life down. Not because he needs you or he needs your things or your money or your time or any of those things. God wants you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand what his kingdom looks like and how we are part and play part in his community. It's his. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. Not a bad tree bears, oh, but a bad tree bears ba bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So applying the, the first things that Jesus said to our lives in regards to this verse, what is Jesus saying? He's, he's really saying, if you're going to be a fruit inspector, you need to inspect your own fruit first. What kind of fruit do you have? What kind of fruit are you producing? Does this, does this apply to you? Have you guys ever eaten bad fruit before? Serious question. Has it, have you ever eaten bad fruit? Okay. I was, I was in Europe, and I was, had a big bowl. It was cherry season. And over there, it's very seasonal how all the fruits, you know. So it was cherry. And I had this big bowl of cherries, and I was going to town. These cherries were delicious, delectable. Halfway through the bowl, I, instead of just popping the whole cherry in my mouth and spitting out the pit, what did I do? I bit it in half. And what did I see? Some worms. And I almost, I almost threw up. I've just been eating worms. How many, how much bad fruit's in this bowl? And I was like, hey, whatever, a little extra protein. I kept popping those babies, right? You know, one after the other, right? Is that what I did? No, I didn't do that. You're crazy if you thought I did that. I don't want to be eating worms. I thought I'm going to die. I've been eating a bowl of worms. A brother of mine and, uh, you know, a, a guy in the church, a buddy of mine, and, and I were at a, at a neighbor's house the other day and um, looking at his backyard. He had a bunch of fruit trees. He had a lemon tree, and he had a peach tree, and a pomegranate tree. And aren't fruit trees cool? Like, I want to have fruit trees. The problem is, what's the problem? We live in the desert, unfortunately. But he is able to cultivate his backyard in a way that, that his trees are producing fruit. And there's a lot of fruit from the, um, I said peach, but it wasn't a peach. It was a pear tree. A, uh, one of the, a lot of the pears had fallen down off the tree onto the ground, and they were sitting there. And and I was hungry, so I walked over and started chowing down on pears rotting on the ground. No, I didn't. All the pomegranates, the ones that were left, had holes pecked in them where the birds got inside to get the fruit out. And I just reached my finger in the hole and started to get some pomegranate seeds out so I could chow down on some too, right? No, 
you guys understand the illustration purpose is, is, is bad fruit is not good for you. Bad fruit is not something that you should want to be around, that you should want to be part of. But so often, maybe, maybe, maybe not so often, but sometimes, maybe sometimes, we surround ourselves with people who are producing bad fruit, and maybe we think that we can change them to start to produce good fruit. But what, what really ends up happening is we start to produce bad fruit. Things start to come from our lives that, that really shouldn't be coming from our lives and there's an adjustment that needs to be made. Judgment, criticism, discernment, relationship. Everybody knows that that tree is not good for anything if it doesn't produce good fruit. And this is specifically not talking about just fruit that's expired or rotting, but a bad tree. Verse 21, not everyone, and this is a tough one, guys. Remember, like we talked about last week, as Jesus is making these examples, it's kind of a buildup to a, the main point, like the heart of the heart. He can give example after example after example all day long, but then he gets to the heart of the heart of the issue of the message. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, quote unquote, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, spoken truth in your name, cast out demons in your name, had that level of authority on a spiritual level, and done many wonders in your name where people were in awe, I almost said people were in wow, whatever that is. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If you did a Google search or you got a Bible concordance and you looked up all the places or you looked up what is the will of God, you know what one of the verses that pop up that you'd read say, says? The will of God, that you would listen to the words of my son. And then Jesus goes right into this next section talking about the person that listens to me the man, the woman that hears the things that I'm saying and applies them is like a person who builds their house on a rock versus the person who builds their house on sand. Prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I, sh I will declare to them, I never knew you. Here's the key. You want to know the key to the key of the key of the heart of the heart? Here it is. I never knew you, the Greek word gnoskos, it's to experience or have intimacy in relationship. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's almost like a, it's almost like he's flipping it. People who thought that they would be good by obeying the law, in fact, were transgressing the law and not engaging in right relationship with God the way that he intended it to be. Again, everything that you see in the Bible, everything that you see is for you to come to an understanding and right relationship with God, which happens through his son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made for you. There are many, many great principles in the Bible. And over the years, I hear motivational speakers and I read books on leadership or, or whatever. They have lots of great principles. But the funny thing is, over the years, as I've read and been exposed to these different things, they, they all get the same kinds of principles and they all uh, are ultimately taken from the Bible. They take a concept, they take a principle from the Bible, and they use it in an application for success. They say, well, yeah, that's a biblical modeled idea, which is true, but it was devoid of any relationship with God. It was just so that I could benefit from it. It was just so that I could succeed. And success isn't bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that you have to be unsuccessful in life, but be successful and use the principles of the Bible, what they were made for, and they were made for to, to help you realize that you should, you should desire and want to know who God is. And I know that you guys hear me say that a lot. And, and if I said it a million times, I'll say it a million more. John chapter 
17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they would know the one true God and he whom you sent. That's what God's will is. God's will is not for you to live up to an expectation he has in you, a measuring stick that he has measured for you. His will for you is that you would know him. And if we did all the great things in the world, just like we see in 1 Corinthians 13, and we do all these great things, burn with the fire, if it wasn't in love, then what was the, what was the real reason? What was the real purpose? God's love wants to be uh, demonstrated towards you so that you can know him. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus, notice, Jesus is not saying, if you listen to the things that I say, if you obey my sayings, you're not going to have any storms anymore. Smooth sailing. Life's going to be peachy keen and you're not going to have any issues. That's not what he says. Notice the two builders, they were working. Yes, they were building. They were constructing something. And it was the foundational level that was going to determine how long it lasted. The wind and the, uh, and the, and the rain is going to come in your life. It's going to come. The question is not whether or when the storm is going to come. It's on what are you built or building. The confidence behind the scripture is if you build on the rock, you will not fall. I receive that, Lord. I can receive that. And, and there's some people who pick and choose what principles they want to use to build their house. Maybe half the house falls <laughs> because it takes our whole lives. In fact, one commentator says that this word uh, built on the rock in the Greek means more of a cluster of rocks or a, a stronghold, a strong place. Build all of the house on all of the rock. But whoever, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You guys know why Jesus taught as one having authority? Because he was the author. He had the ultimate authority to deliver the ultimate truth for the ultimate benefit of others. The scribes, what, what, what would they do? They wouldn't definitively say, this is what God's word says. This is what the, the Pentateuch says. This is what the Torah says. They would say, this is what Rabbi so-and-so thinks. This is what Rabbi so-and-so thinks. This is what Rabbi so-and-so thinks. And then this is how it, the application comes in over here. Let's do the best we can. Jesus is saying, no, this is what you must do. And I've shared this with you before, you know. We come in and have people, we do counseling, and we want to help people when they're in difficult times. We want to help people when the storms are coming, you know, when the storm is there, when the wind and the, and the rain is pounding. But when I have the same conversation with somebody week after week after week after week after week, and I start to think to myself, when am I going to, when is it going to get to the point where I stop casting my pearls before swine, you know? That's heavy, huh? <laughs> um, You're not really listening. You're not really taking, because it's not my opinion. It's not what I think about the situation. It's what God's word says. 
And when you, when you do what God's word says, you, you, you apply it to your life, your life will look differently. It will change. When you say that prayer and you say, God, okay, this crazy guy on stage, I, I, I can identify with one thing. I want to know who you are. You can say that. And then when you receive an answer, even if it's a small one at first, but it's consistent and he continues to reveal himself to you because you ask, because you seek, because you knock, what happens is you start to get filled up in a way that you've never been filled up before. You start to feel alive. You start to be interested in things that you weren't interested in before. And then you get filled up to what point? To, to when you're full. You know, I feel like I'm full, like I just... I'm so thankful for all that God has revealed to me and who he's shown himself to me to be. To the point of what? Where you're overflowing and you're overflowing and what's happening? You're just like, I got so much to share because I've been given so much that I just want to give it to other people. I want you to know and I want you to know about God's love and about his grace and about his mercy and about his long suffering, about his faithfulness and on and on and on and on and on. Because I can say it, I can say it, but what I really want you to understand is that it's truth. And it's not my opinion, it's God's genuine heart of care for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your desire, the desire that you have for us to know you. I, I really don't know if we've really wrapped our head around how important that truth is. Father, for all of my for all of my friends here this morning, all these people, there's one thing that goes back to the heart of what your message, your word was for us today. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. And they would learn the scriptures. They would learn what the Bible says. But also, they would experience your goodness. They would experience your grace and your love. And they would be profoundly changed by it. And the fruit that comes from these healthy trees would be testified to as your glory. You're good, God. We know you are good. Pray that you bless their week, that your face would shine upon them in that revelation that you have for them. And again, Lord, that, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to challenge you guys this week. I did this for the first service before we prayed, but I want to challenge you guys if, if you can receive it. Put God to his word. That verse Ask, seek, knock. I just want you this week to ask, to seek, and to knock. And just do it. Don't necessarily do it for something that you want, that you think that you quote unquote need. Do it. Ask, seek, and knock so that he can reveal himself to you. Amen?